0: Good afternoon. It one thirty-seven p.m. right now on Monday, October 24th. Couple quick life updates. EDD has still not kicked in and I am stressed. I'm not gonna lie. That's probably my biggest stressor in life right now. Um, <laughs> I got rent coming in and I figured it would have kicked in right now because I applied over a month ago. And what's frustrating is I can't call in because they have this automated message that says, we have too many calls coming in right now, so call back later. So they just don't answer. And I can't even go online because the website no longer loads for me. And I Googled the error message that I'm getting, and I think it's an error message on their side. It says that they can't provide a secure connection. And I've tried different browsers. I've cleared my cookies. Uh, It still doesn't go through for me. So I think I'm gonna have my sister see if she can log in from her computer using my password, because with EDD, one thing you need to do is certify that you're still unemployed every two weeks. And this is one of those weeks that I need to do that. So in addition to not just being able to check my status and see why the fuck I haven't gotten it yet, I also can't certify right now this week. So the other option is to do it through the phone. But again, can't call through even the whole self-service like call this number to self-service and certify on through the phone can't even do that because then they'll say let me transfer you to somebody and then I get that message so it's pretty frustrating I am probably going to have to find another job soon which is worrisome and I really need to figure out what I'm going to do because I have to pay rent but I really need to study for the LSATs and one thing I've learned is whenever I get a sales job because well a job I don't study because I get overwhelmed with sales it's trying to ramp up and things like that with equinox it was a little bit different because it was an adjustment most of it was me trying to get used to the shift of being a 5 a.m shift but it was exhausting in other ways too so yeah i'm gonna have to figure out what kind of job i'm gonna get and try to get a job quickly Apollo is still in his cone, but he seems to be healing a bit, so that's good. It shouldn't be more than two more days of the cone, and then his back paw should be good. And overall, I am in a pretty decent good mood, because I just finished working out, and I did legs today, so I already feel struggling to go down the stairs, so we'll see how I feel tomorrow. I didn't work out at all last week, so I... Definitely felt the regression, but that's okay. It happens. I didn't push myself as hard, mostly because I don't have a spotter too. So doing squats without a spotter, I get kind of scared to really push myself to the max. But other than that, I tried the hip abductor machine for the first time today. It's the one where you push your legs open. So that was the first time I used that and that was really fun. But one other thing I wanted to say about the gym was that I really like the music that they play at my gym now. So it's not always the most modern music. Sometimes it's about a decade behind, but I think it matches the gym vibe a lot more. And I also just really enjoy that decade of music. So I've been finding new songs that I like. I don't even need headphones because I enjoy the music in the background. It's really nice. So the one I discovered today is called Too Late by Wiz Khalifa. And I really like the song. So it sounds nice, but I also really like the lyrics. I resonate with them a lot right now. Now that I'm 31, I have this Calm, tranquil mortality in my mind. And actually, I haven't mentioned it. I have yet to make that podcast episode, but stay tuned for that. Here are some of the lyrics. When the stage is dark and the curtains close the last time, promise me you did what you could with your life. I love that. (laughs) And then here's the other one. When you grind, you realize time, what it take. Okay, that doesn't sound as good as when I read it, but it's better when they wrap it. (laughs) And then the next line, But all you got to do is hold on, keep on doing right, don't go wrong. Here's what I like, and keep your real ones beside you. Stay down and let patience guide you. I love that because that's how I feel right now with my whole LSAT grind. I am laying low, keeping out of social media, and living a very simple life surrounded by just the people who are close to me. And then the last little life update I want to share is that my motivation to strip has kicked back in. I am quite excited, although I know I won't be able to do it for a while because, again, I'll set first. And my sister made an interesting point that if I were to try to go strip for my source of income, it would be a lot of shell shock, a lot of culture shock, sleep routine shock, I know there's a lot of drama. It'll probably be very draining for me because let's be honest, it's going to be a tough job and that's kind of why I want to do it. But it would be a lot of shock and distraction for my LSATs again. So that's why I'm probably not going to do it until after I take my LSAT. But I remain and am now reinvigorated to be competitive. And I've even finally switched over my Instagram from the Ariel to my stage name, Scarlet. So originally I was going to only have a side Instagram just for stripping and have that handle be my stage name, Scarlet. But now I think I'll just expand that to not just stripping, but pole dance stuff in general. Because if I start pole dancing and joining competitions or performances, some people use their stage name. So I might as well just stick to that, keep it easy. And That way I can use my stripping reputation and presence to funnel into my pole dancing shenanigans too. And I think it's a nice clean cut to have not only my stripping stuff, but also my pole stuff under a separate name than my law school stuff. Like it's a very different vibe, right? Okay, now that that's out of the way, the point of today's episode is to share a snippet story of my childhood. So this was something that was actually kind of making me stressed on the way to the gym. And I feel a lot better now. So hopefully that my tone of voice will be a little more chipper when I tell this story. But it's still something I wanted to tell. Because it's a memory I had from childhood that was circling my head, making me stressed. And I hope that putting it down on paper or on some other platform that's not in my head will help make me feel better. I'm going to be experimenting over the next few episodes, not consecutively, but just randomly here and there. If I have something on my mind, I will probably just share it in a story because it does a couple things. It gets it off just my chest. So I don't feel like I have to keep it in my head lest I forget it one day and I want to write a memoir. So I'm not the only one that holds the keys. In that statement alone too, secrets. I don't want them to be secrets anymore because it gives them more weight. And with that weight comes more stress as opposed to something that I can make more casual by sharing and putting out there. And I think sharing and putting it out there is part of my journey of getting validation and this is what I've been through and not hiding from it and hopefully therapeutic. So the story I wanna share today is about my dad and bamboo. So ever since we were young, I don't remember exactly what age, but at some point before middle school, my dad started growing bamboo. And so we had quite a good little bamboo forest in our backyard. And maybe when I was late elementary school, my dad realized that he could use it as whips. So what he would do is he would cut off the bamboo and then cut the stems off. But you think of plants, plants that have the original, the branch in the middle, and then the little stems that come off. The stem has this little... I don't even know how to describe it, but there's this little bump where it comes out of, you know, it's just not, it's not a stick out of nowhere. There's a base to the stem. So it's a little bit thicker down there. So he would cut them at the base of the stem. So there's that little base bump there that stays there and it's very sharp now. And once he does that, you get this skinny down bamboo. It's thicker at the bottom, very thin at the top. So very like whoosh whoosh at the top. And then he would let it dry out. Then it's like sharp and brittle. The first time he used it was on my older brother. The details of the timing are fuzzy, but I know my older brother was caught with a Game Boy Advance that, to be fair, we all played, but it came from his friend because his friend had gotten the new one, so he gave the old one to my brother, knowing that we didn't have one. And I remember it being an evening that he was yelling at my brother. I was upstairs for most of it because... He had been yelling at him for a long time. But at some point, you could tell it started to escalate. I don't know. You could just hear it. So that's when I came down to see what was up. And again, I don't remember the exact transition. But at some point, my brother ended up without his shirt on. And he was standing there. And my dad started whipping him on his back. So my brother was probably 14 or 15. So he's in the living room. I... I was standing on our stairwell watching kind of their backs were turned toward me, sort of like they could still, my dad could still see me from where he was standing, but I was kind of out of the way. I wasn't front seat row like the rest of my family was. My mom was front seat row. My sister and my little brother were. It was like a public execution back in the day, you know, where they all come and watch. And my dad was whipping him. And it's what you would expect. Lines all over his back, blood. And my older brother's just standing there, kind of hunched over to expose his back, right? He's not standing up tall. He's bent over a little bit and he's just putting his head down, taking it. All this over a Game Boy. And I remember standing there. I was probably 10 at the time, just surprised because this meant to me, this was an, another new level of discipline that punishment that we could get that had just been unlocked. So I guess the stakes were higher is what I'm saying. And I was shocked that this was happening. I felt a little bad for him. I didn't feel terribly bad for him. I felt a little bad. More than that, I was very relieved it was not me. That's how life was for us. I'll go back to the detail that my mom was sitting there front row seat watching. I don't know what she felt at the time, but she wasn't doing anything. And this is not to shit on her. She had no ability to. She had a tiny bit more power than us, but not very much. So most of the time she wasn't able to do anything. Every now and then she might try to defend us, but rarely. And I don't think this is a shit on her again. I think that's just the dynamics of intimate partner violence and abusive households. After that happened... My brother, I think, retreated to the bathroom and we kind of were all there. And I just remember he was raw for the next few days whenever he would change and get ready for school. Like, I just remember it would cover his raw back, and he would go to school like that. I don't know why I'm choking up right now. I guess because this has never been something that I felt sad about or realized that I did not like. I guess it's now that I'm saying it and trying to explain it from an objective point of view, from the point of view of a normal sane adult, I realize that this is fucked up. But moving on in the story, at this point in my life, I believe my dad would put his negative energy mostly on my brother and me. He cycled between us for different things. For me, I don't know, he just didn't like me and I still I don't remember. Because at this point, I hadn't started skipping grades, so his common theme of hating on me because I was arrogant and thought I was so smart, that hadn't yet started, cause, but maybe it was the selfish thing. He, for whatever reason, thought I was so selfish, and it boggled me. He would constantly repeat and you know brainwash or try to brainwash me to believe that I was this selfish, horrible person, the most selfish out of all the siblings, and I never understood it. I still don't understand it. I think it was around this time too, or maybe later, one of his hobbies became trimming the bamboo trees. I want to say it was like this sick habit of his, the sick hobby of his to trim more bamboo trees into whips. He would get in this little zone and you would see him just like very ominously pruning them and picking off the stems and just trimming them and he was quiet and he would do it in a little, like, in the backyard, in a quiet mood. Like, it was ominous and weird. And he would stack all of them in the front door. So every time we came home and entered the home, we would see a stack of potential whips on the, on the right in the corner where the door is. And I don't know if he purposely did that as a scare tactic, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did, because that certainly was the message. I was constantly reminded that I could get whipped. So when it was my turn to get whipped, he kept hyping up that he was going to beat me or whip me and it was going to be on my calves. And there was a day that he got mad again. I mean, (laughs) I shouldn't say it like that. He was basically mad at me every day. He was about to. He went and got a whip and he came over and he was telling me to stand ready, pull up my pants and stuff like that. And I was about to get whipped that day, but... I kind of knew in the back of my head that he wanted me to be afraid. I wasn't afraid. I just didn't want to deal with broken skin. It didn't sound pleasant. So I kind of knew that's what he wanted and wasn't getting from me. And that's why he was so provoked and continually provoked that particular day was because he kept threatening me and kept threatening me. And I, that particular conversation, you just didn't see any fear come out of me because I mean, I wasn't really scared of him. I just, found him annoying and stupid and unpleasant and I found the thought of me getting my calves whipped quite unpleasant too but when he went to go get the whip in my head I was like oh shit this is about to happen so that's when I put on an acting show and I just started crying I started acting super scared of him and terrified and I cried and it worked I think he got a trip out of that so he started backing down and that's when I kind of sensed it was working and I kept crying and finally he said, okay, I will let you go this time, but tomorrow I'm going to whip you or something like next time I'm going to whip you. I can't remember exactly. Let's just say it was tomorrow. And then, so I walked away. And as soon as I walked away, I stopped crying. And then the next time he reached his threshold point where he decided he was going to whip me the day before he pulled me aside. And again, he was screaming at me and he pulls up his pants and he starts lashing his own calves and they start bleeding a bit because they cut the skin. And he says, this is what I'm going to do to you tomorrow when you come home from school. And so the day comes, I don't want to get whipped. Like, I don't want to deal with the pain. I, mean, I knew I would live, but I didn't want to go through that if I could help it. And yeah, I was I was scared in that I didn't want to go through it. I wasn't scared in that I'm terrified because at this point I had... You know, I was a strong individual and I had the mindset that my dad was just stupid and annoying rather than actually terrifying. And that might be actually what pissed him off so much. But I went to school and I think I was in sixth grade. Yeah, it must have been because I was only in middle school for sixth grade. And I had two friends, close friends of mine, Bianca and Chloe. And I told them about it. And I think one of them told me, or they both told me, I don't know, that I should go to the school counselor. I think her name was Miss, Mrs. Stapleton. I thought she was cool, she was nice, until now that I'm retelling the story, I realize she's quite spineless in her own way as a mandated reporter. So after school, I go to the counselor's office, my friends come with me, and they stay outside, and I go inside her office, and I tell her, and she calls the cops. And this young cop comes, and I remember thinking, he is very attractive. Very, very attractive cop, like he had... He was so ripped. He had huge forearms, just like huge arms. He had a nice face. He was tall, young, just like very handsome guy. Um, and he had this little notepad and he asked me to describe everything. So I told him the full account of like how he whipped my brother till he bled over a Game Boy and how he threatened to whip me and how he would hit us, like how he kicked us just because my music was a little bit too loud. And I think I was like six years old small detail. I was a nerd at that time. So I was too, I don't know, shy to say the word butt. So I said rump <laughs> because I've read so many novels. Like I was really into historical fiction at that time. And they used different words back then. So I would say things like rump to this really hot police officer. <laughs> Anyways, um then they take me to the police office or station, I guess. But my little brother tends to wait for me his school, when I walk home from school, his school is on the way. So he would walk halfway to my school from his school, wait for me, and I would meet him and we would walk home together. Ah, the sweet old times of when we were actually close and he wasn't crazy. And back in the 90s, when you didn't have cell phones, we just met each other at a certain place. Ah, so sweet. So then I told them about that. So we had to go pick him up. So we drove in the cop car and we went to pick him up. And I remember realizing how uncomfortable the back of a cop car is. It's like this hard plastic, like a roller coaster ride, like those plastic seats. Big and uncomfortable. I was sliding everywhere. There's scratches inside and it's spacious, but it's just so hard and incredibly uncomfortable it's even harder than what you have on a roller coaster so that except make it harder so we pick up my brother i explain to him uh what happens and then we go to the police station and we're walking down this long hallway we're following our police officer and then this older fatter police officer probably in his mid-40s he's he's coming the other direction and he sees it oh hold on It's two o'clock feeding time for my cats out of my automatic feeder. And he calls out to the young officer something like code something something. I didn't understand what he was saying, but if I were to infer, I think he was saying like the cop version of, oh, child abuse. And the guy says, yep. And then as we pass by, the older guy calls out. They get younger and younger each year. And I made no comment because I was like, I'm not that young. I'm already... 10 or 11 and I really don't remember the rest of it but I know we end up back home right and what's interesting here is my family was surprised at what I did but they were also (laughs) very unhappy with what I did everyone was annoyed that I had did that everyone had this negative salty attitude when I came home that day So even though I knew I was protected, that I wasn't getting whipped that night, I now had to deal with this because my older brother, he mocked me. He said, I'm afraid to go home because that's when I told the police officer. And my sister kind of made a similar comment to that tone. But that's, again, the kind of world I grew up in. And I think what happened first was my dad got in my face and started yelling at me. And I knew it was gonna be worse now in different ways. Cause even though I wasn't getting whipped tonight, now that I had to deal with this and deal with this moving forward, it's extra wrath. So that's the thing I think people don't realize that I want them to realize is if you get the system involved, the state involved, social worker, cops, it will be worse for the child. So don't think you're helping them. I know you're a mandated reporter, but let's be very honest here. You are not helping them because you are just making their life worse. You're saving your ass. You think you're helping because you're doing your whole mandated reporter thing, but realistically, you are just making it worse. So when a child begs you and says, please don't tell anyone because they just want to get off their chest to you because they trust you. But don't tell anyone because it's my dad will hate me. My dad will be mad at me. That is 100% true. And so the thing about abuse is that if you do want to escape, you need to plan your escape very strategically. You need to be ready with enough evidence and enough emotion in your story that when you get that involved, there is no going back. You have to be able to achieve escape velocity because otherwise they will send you back and it will be worse. Why is everyone so naive to think that when a cop or a social worker talks to an abusive parent that they're going to change? Like, seriously? These people are manipulative. They smile and go, oh, my gosh, I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, no. It's it's all a misunderstanding. And that's what I ended up having to be rehearsed to, to say the next day. So my family, after we had this big old falling out, which I'll describe in a second, we left that night saying, this is what you're going to say to your counselor tomorrow, that it was all a misunderstanding. And my mom nodded. She liked that. She's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it it was. It really was a misunderstanding. Yeah, it's just a misunderstanding. So now I rehearsed it back. It was all a misunderstanding. So I went to school the next day. The counselor asked, oh, how did it go yesterday? What happened yesterday? And I said, oh, it was just a misunderstanding. Oh, okay, good, good, good. I'm glad. Really? Really? Are you serious? Think about that. I just told you and you were there with the cop when I detailed my brother getting whipped and lashed and bleeding and I was next and everything else that he had gone through and everything my mom had gone through up until that point in my life. For me to brush off, oh, it was just a misunderstanding and you to go, oh, okay, I'm so glad. And even the way you asked was like, oh, how did it go yesterday? Like it's some casual thing. Phony. Absolutely phony. (laughs) And that's when I started to realize people are so naive and I don't know if it's because they didn't want to believe this was happening or they couldn't fathom it was happening because I lived in a nice predominantly white suburb but I remember thinking these people are fucking idiots and so easily fooled because obviously my dad is manipulative obviously he lied to you guys and obviously he's making me cover it up but they took it so easily and that's why they sent me back home anyway Um, back to the whole falling out. What happened was, I don't remember, but my dad was furious, obviously. And he gets one of his whips and he's like, fine, fine, go ahead and whip me, whip me. And he's getting in my face. He's like getting in my face and kind of shoving the bamboo in front of me with his whole like, hit me, hit me. I think that's what he said. I don't remember how, like it's not a very logical thing to say in a conversation. I don't know, but that was where his anger was at. And I don't know if he was expecting me to take it. I have a feeling he didn't expect me to actually take it because it's almost like, now that I think about it, it's like one of those reverse psychology things, right? Where he's trying to egg me on to do something that I wouldn't, that I would chicken out of. Because again, think of the type of children he was raising, like fear, except for me. <laughs> and so I, I really think he didn't expect me to take it because the rest of my siblings wouldn't have. You saw the way they reacted. But I took it. <laughs> I took it. I was angry and I snapped and I was like, you know what? Fine. You're giving me this opportunity. I didn't say that out loud, but this is how I felt in my head. I was like, if you're giving me this opportunity, then I will. So I took that bamboo in my hand and he does the same thing my brother does. He stands there and he kind of hunches over to expose his back and I just raise it high and I bring it down. The first one. And then he lets out this, <clears throat> like, cause he's, um, you know, exhaling the pain and, He would, you know, crinkle his face and let out like a, and his face is all red. And in my head, I was thinking too, I was like, you are expressing so much pain here. And yet this is what you put my brother through. I'm not saying he couldn't take the pain because he was standing there taking the pain. But like, I think you get what I'm saying. When you are making all these noises and grunting, and it's clearly painful, you can't take this. And you did this on your own son, I was like, what a hypocrite. That's how I felt. And I was i was whipping him. I guess I remember the feeling of the little knobs of the stems hitting his skin. There's multiple of them. And so there would be a little bit of friction, you know, because it's not a smooth lash. There's a little bit of friction when I would hit his skin. And I drew blood. I picked up my pace at some point because at some point I was a little bit of like, Yeah, I got this. This is this kind of fun. Like it started with like, fine, if you're gonna let me do this, I'll do this. And then the second one was like, Oh, I did it. This is happening. No one's stopping me. All right. And then I sped it up. And then at some point I slowed down and my mom was like, Why are you doing this? He didn't even do anything to you. So I think I got a few more out and then I stopped. But in my head when I was doing all that, I also felt like I was taking taking revenge for everything that we've all been through. Me and my siblings. Because I mentioned the thing about, well, this is what you did to my brother. And in my head, I kind of felt like I was speaking up for all of my siblings, even though I know that's not how they felt. But there was a tinge of me that felt like I'm representing what everyone has felt, but no one has had the courage to say. And now that you've given me this opportunity, this microphone, I'm letting you know about it. And it's interesting I make that connection now because that's 100% how I feel now as an adult too, in real life. So I believe the night and quote-unquote conversation, confrontation, should I say, calms down after that because at that point my dad was in pain and so he needed to go recover because he was bleeding. And so that's when we turned to the topic of what am I going to say to school tomorrow? And that's when we all decided it was just a misunderstanding. Thanks for listening to my story. Talk to you later.